I'm Damian Bolwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, California is no longer flying blind when it comes to a critical part of fighting the pandemic. That piece of the puzzle, as Aaron Alday, our health reporter, will explain, is genomic sequencing, which can identify variants of the coronavirus and tell us when they're spreading in the community. But while California is improving, most counties still don't have access to enough sequencing to understand exactly what's happening in smaller neighborhoods or to quickly identify local outbreaks. Aaron Alday, thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me back on, Damien. So, Aaron, what is genomic sequencing and why is it so important in the pandemic? Genomic sequencing is basically a a process where you take a sample of the virus and you run it through a machine and that machine kind of spits out the the genetic blueprint. So the entire kind of all of the the proteins basically that make up the virus um, in in the proper order. Um, and that blueprint is basically the the instructions for replication, right? So like that's what lets the virus um, reproduce and, and copy itself over and over again. So that's what this blueprint is. It just tells you exactly what that what the makeup of that virus is. So genomic sequencing will tell you the the blueprint. So it'll lay out, you know, exactly what's in the virus. But because of that, we can also identify, use that, use that sequencing to identify when the virus has mutated. So when there's been kind of a change in that blueprint. So maybe a protein has dropped out or two proteins have swapped places. I mean, these these could be just really what look like very insignificant changes um, in that blueprint. Um, and that tells us when, you know, there's there's a mutation. And these mutations happen all the time. They're not unusual. But every now and then we get multiple mutations building up and, and they're in important enough places in the blueprint that they change the way the virus behaves. So, you know, these mutations can build up and make a virus more infectious. It can make it, you know, able to evade vaccination, vaccines. Um, it can make it cause more serious disease. And those are the the variants that we really want to be on the lookout for. So this it all starts with the sequencing. That's what lets us detect those variants. All right. We've all become very familiar with variants. There's been a lot of worry about variants that are more contagious spreading. So every time that you sequence, you can see if you've got a variant on your hands. Yeah, basically. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot to it. You know, there's a whole this is a whole field of study and so, you know, when you when you sequence something, you get just it spits out a huge amount of data information. So it takes a certain amount of expertise and training to be able to look at that sequence and tell, you know, un- understand what you're looking at, understand if what you're seeing is, you know, where these mutations are and if you have a variant. But we have these scientists that have, you know, developed basically screening tools to very quickly use sequencing to to find these variants in the community. All right. Now, Aaron, you you refer to variants, but sometimes you also call them mutant viruses. Is that just a more interesting way to say it or is there something different there? No, it's definitely just kind of a more interesting, sexier way of saying that. Um, okay. You know, well, we 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 early on people would actually refer to them often as as mutant strains, mutant viruses. But you know, in the in the in the real heady days of the pandemic, it really was kind of fear mongering, right? Like that sounds super scary to think about. You know, oh my god, it's a monster mutant mutant version of this of this virus. But really, it's it's just a variant. I mean, variant is a much kind of calmer sounding word. And it can be a better one. It can be it can be less severe. It can be less easy to spread. Absolutely. In fact, there's some thinking that over time, this this virus will mutate in a way that makes it just much more livable. So it becomes kind of more like a common cold. Okay, let's get to the heart of your story. In the beginning of the pandemic, there was not a lot of this science out there. 
as I, as you said, we were kind of flying blind, but that's changed. Yes, exactly. So this really came came to be an issue back in December, um, late December, early January, when the the UK, the so-called UK variant kind of first became a player. That was the most the first variant that most of us became really aware of and familiar with. And that one was known to be more contagious. And it was just raging all over the United Kingdom and and creating a huge surge there. And meanwhile, California was also, as we all remember, experiencing a huge surge in December and January. But we didn't we weren't doing genomic sequencing in any large amounts. We were doing we were sequencing a less than one half of a percent of all cases. Um, and in the UK at the time, they were sequencing about 10 percent of all their cases. And that that's what got them. They were able to identify that there was this variant that was that was affecting their cases there and that was causing that surge. Uh, meanwhile, in California, we had no way of we, we were we were blind. We did not we were not doing enough nearly enough sequencing to tell what was what was happening with that. If, if there was a variant playing a role and if there was anything we could do about it. So are we talking about a giant machine, you know, at the state lab that you're sending stuff to, or can the individual counties in California who have been so important, can they do it themselves? Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting. So, Cal, I mean, the the irony of the problem back in January was California actually has a lot of sequencing ca- capacity. We have probably more ability to do sequencing than any other state because we have such a huge biotech industry here. So we have a lot of private companies, commercial companies, academic institutions, UCSF, Stanford, UC Berkeley can all do sequencing. It's available all over the place, but we didn't have sort of a coordinated effort to do that sequencing of the coronavirus. And that was really the big problem. So, I mean, this equipment is actually pretty easy to come by. It's, It's not super easy to to use. And it's definitely was not affordable to most counties until recently. So counties very rarely had, I mean, pretty much never had that equipment themselves if, and they didn't really have much of a need. They just didn't do any sequencing before the pandemic. Um, If they did for some reason need to sequence something, they would send it to like a state lab or they would again partner with like UCSF and, and get somebody like that to sequence. But yeah, until very recently, we actually had this equipment all over the place. We just didn't have really a good kind of cooperation and and means to kind of get get these these organizations to sequence for the state and for the counties. All right. So what changed? Well, so I should I should mention first of all that the biohub at at Mission Bay, so um, the Chan Zuckerberg biohub, they kind of stepped up first and sort of on their own volunteered to do sequencing for a lot of counties and the state back last summer. Uh, summer 2020. Um, and they're just, you know, one nonprofit, one lab. They're not that big. But by the end of the year, they were doing about half of all of the sampling in California and close to half, frankly, of the United States because there was so little sequencing going on. But I think what happened was in, in January when it really came to a head that we were not doing nearly enough sequencing um, and that it was a problem that we weren't that these variants were probably here. And by then we knew that there were variants in South Africa and Brazil that were also a problem. Um, We had also accidentally discovered a California variant that looked like it could be problematic. So point is, we knew there was a lot of kind of action happening, but we weren't able to to identify it. And you need to, you know, the part of the reason you want to identify these is so you can study them and figure out how big of a problem is this going to be and how are we going to address it. So back in kind of 
February or so was when the state and the CDC really stepped up and said, okay, well, we we really need to increase that sequencing. And so what they did was they kind of created a network they created in California, you know, a network of laboratories that would all work together. And they got a lot more, we got a lot more public and private laboratories kind of stepping up. So Stanford started doing a whole lot of sequencing. Um, A lot of commercial labs started doing a whole lot of sequencing, partnering with the CDC, especially, Um, And in the meantime, we got a lot of counties ended up buying their own sequencing equipment. Um, Not a lot, but probably about a dozen of them bought kind of their own sequencing equipment and started just doing that themselves. All right. I want to take a quick break, Aaron. I want to ask you when we come back about what we're going to do with this information and also where there are still some vulnerabilities. We'll be right back on Fifth and Mission. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support this show and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, joined by Chronicle Health reporter Aaron Alday. We're talking about how California is doing a lot more sequencing of the coronavirus so we can see if there are variants we need to know about. And on that note, Aaron, I mean, we are about to go to this June 15th date, which is so big, this reopening date. We're starting to change our lives. There's a lot of hope that we're past the worst of it. But when you see perhaps information about a variant that might be more dangerous or if you see something spreading, it's a little scary. You start to think about, okay, so what are we going to do? Could there be instances where we have to pull back? What are we going to do with this information? No, I think that's a that's a really great question. And that's, to me, kind of the most important one of the most important things about reopening is that we be doing that sort of um, kind of look at what's happening out there that we really um, step up and have the sequencing in place to, to very quickly identify new variants um, and identify if they're problematic. So that's going to be you know, in a lot of ways, our first kind of view of if we're running into problems after reopening. Um, you know, we don't want to be in a situation where we don't know that there's a problem until hospitalizations start increasing or pe- more people are dying, right? Like we would rather say, oh, we see that there's this variant that we've never seen before. There's a few more cases of that. Is that a problem? Can we study it? Do we need to like, you know, take action to to keep that, you know, from from spreading? And that could mean saying, Okay, we see maybe that this variant, you know, is is evading our vaccines a little bit. Maybe we need some boosters. That, that seems that's probably unlikely, but that's that's one possibility. It's, you know, another possibility is you might see like a variant kind of taking off in a particular neighborhood that, you know, maybe it's it's hitting kids and and kids are more more vulnerable to it. Um maybe it's causing kind of you know, a little bit more severe disease among people who haven't been vaccinated. So you really want to go and do like a targeted vaccination effort in a certain community. But the point is that those those are going to be kind of our first, you know, signals that something may be going a little bit off track after we reopen. And, you know, I don't think anybody is necessarily expecting that to happen. It's not like we're bracing for this and this is going to be a sure thing. But the idea is you want to be able to catch that really fast and really early before it, it becomes a problem and we find ourselves back in, you know, another shelter in place kind of situation. You write about how there's still an opportunity to do more and you write about how perhaps in some vulnerable communities that more sequencing could help. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so the... We, we've we've increased our sequencing really dramatically in California, like, you know, five or six fold um, 
you know, per month compared to January, um, which is just really um, amazing. And like I said, we're now doing about 10% of cases, but it's not evenly spread. We're kind of, it's a little bit of a biased sampling. So it's through a lot of commercial laboratories, which tend to be getting their samples from commercial testing sites. Um, so it might be like, you know, big healthcare providers where they're getting their samples from, um, or people who just sort of have healthcare and are going to, you know, large kind of commercial laboratories to get tested. Um, or it might be, you know, in the counties even that they're just using, they're just getting their information from county labs, but they're not getting, you know, samples from community clinics. Or the point is that it's not like, it's not even, we're not getting sort of a true representation of cases out in the community, which means, you know, we could be missing, you know, certain neighborhoods. So for example, if say in Oakland, um, you know, a lot of people in East Oakland get tested at a a clinic kind of in East Oakland that is not part of Alameda County's sequencing program, we might not know what's happening with with variants and sort of outbreaks in that neighborhood where they happen to have a, a lot of disease. They've actually been really hard hit. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we're not still blind in in those communities. Yeah, and you might miss something by a matter of days, weeks, months that that you could have gotten a jump on. Yes, exactly. And that's that's another big issue with wanting the counties to get involved is that they can do a really quick turnaround. So they can say, you know, oh, I see that like maybe we're not getting that representation in Oakland. Let's go there. Let's make sure we're getting samples from there and let's make sure we're getting them quickly so that we can very, yeah, like like right away kind of discover if there's a problem and and if there's something we can do about it. All right. So taking a little larger view, Aaron, what do we know about variants? How scared should we be in terms of worldwide? Are, have we seen variants that have evaded the, the vaccines? Is there reason for concern yet that that variants could kind of throw us way back in the process? This is actually a really good news situation, I'm happy to say. Um, we, you know, there there are a number of, of variants that are are concerning that that you know have properties that make us that have that have made us a little nervous. But so far, the vaccines are holding up against every one of them. Um, so you know, we're we're not seeing anything in the United States, certainly, and really in any other countries that appears to be a problem for the vaccines. Um, so and and most people I talk to are starting to think, you know, it's pretty unlikely things would have to be be catastrophically wrong in order for us to get a variant that renders our vaccines completely useless, that puts us in a situation where we have to shelter in place again, where we have to completely revamp the vaccines and get everybody boosters and be kind of back at square one. That seems like it's just it's just not going to happen. Um, you know, we could still get one that makes the vaccines a little bit less effective um, or, again, that kind of causes a little bit more serious disease. So you worry about those people who haven't been vaccinated and whatnot. Um, so the situation is looking just a whole lot better um, on that front and that these these variants have been around long enough that we have a lot more confidence that that they're not going to be a huge problem for us. All right. Finally, Aaron, after the pandemic is over, if it's ever over, hopefully it will be <laughs> over. Uh, is this increase in the ability to to do sequencing going to be beneficial in other areas? Yeah, I think that's one thing that the folks I talk to are are really most excited about, um, especially at the county level. I talked to um, a lab manager up in Humboldt County who was like, "Yeah, it's you know it's great that we're going to use this, and we're already starting to use our sequencing equipment for for the coronavirus for this pandemic." He's like, "But he's been trying to get a sequencer in his county for like ten years." 
it's been like on his bucket list, he said, forever. But, you know, Humboldt County is just it costs about $150,000 to get like a starter sequencer. Plus, you need training, you know, you need to have your staff like understand how to use it, like you need support, there's just a lot that goes into it. And it was just never remotely an option for a county like Humboldt that didn't have a huge budget to do something like that. And so now they they bought it. They they got the money. They used it through COVID relief funds. Um, the Biohub in San Francisco helped train them. So they're good to go. They have a sequencer up there. Um, and he's really excited to use it for, you know, identi- his, he personally is into finding um, um, antibiotic-resistant uh, uh, diseases like bacteria in his community. So, you know, using it to kind of trace problem problem bacteria in his community. But other folks I've talked to, you know, they want to use it for tracking valley fever in, in the Central Valley. They want to use it, you know, for, I mean, you could use it for like identifying, for, for tracking foodborne illness outbreaks in restaurants. So like if you have like a bunch of people went to the same restaurant and are complaining of stomach problems the next day, you can actually get a sample with them, sequence it, and prove that they got it at the same place, like that they really do have the same bug, and then trace it back to that specific place. So, I mean, there's all kinds of ways the sequencing equipment can be used that are, you know, the local health officers are really excited about. All right, Aaron, thank you so much. It's a fascinating story. Thanks for having me, Damien. Thanks to my guest today. She's Chronicle Health reporter Aaron Alday. For producing this episode, thanks to Cecilia Lay and King Kaufman, and thank you for listening. <laughs>